definitely about running your own race. I think everyone can obsess with like, how do I be the number one in the market? How can I be the biggest? How can I beat this company? That forces you to make wrong decisions a lot of the time. And I think it took me a couple of years to get comfortable with that as a founder, as a first time founder. Hey everyone, welcome back to the SaaS Revolution show brought to you by SaaStock, the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction, growth and scale. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, and I'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today, and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey. Now on with the show. What's up, everyone? Alex here from SaaStock. We are in the beautiful, sunny city of Austin. Boy, is it hot. This week is SaaStock USA, and I have to say, it's absolutely incredible to see this event come together for the first time on US soil, and it's completely sold out, if I might add. I told you it was gonna be sold out, it is. If you don't have major FOMO already, you definitely should nip that in the butt before it gets out of hand. So, uh, whilst you're here, like you've missed out on SaaStock USA, you know, sorry for that, but you can save 15% on your SaaStock Dublin 2023 tickets using code SASREV, and hopefully we'll see you in Dublin if you didn't make it to Austin. All right, welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show. I'm your host, Alex Humer. Delighted to be joined today by Tom Lavery, who is the CEO and founder of Jiminy. Welcome, Tom. Hey, Alex. Great to be here. How are you? Great to have you on the podcast, Tom. Uh, whereabouts are you uh, calling in from today? I'm actually in London, um, and all the meeting rooms in my office are booked. So I'm in a WeWork uh, coffin, as I call it, when you're stuck in one of those little booths all day. So I'm actually in one of them right now. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Well, Tom, um, great to have you on the podcast. Uh, let's uh, find out a little bit first about you before we go into um, more about uh, Jiminy. So tell us, who is uh, Tom Labery? Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, I'm the CEO and founder of a company called Jiminy. Um, we're a SaaS company that does conversation intelligence. It's recording, transcribing, analyzing meetings. But um, before I started Jiminy, I was actually an SVP of sales for a tech company, showing my age now. Uh, I did that for nearly nine years, uh, sales management before that, uh, and started off yeah working in sales. So I think next year is 20 years uh, in business and sales uh, overall, uh, which has flown by. Uh, really, but yeah, started in sales management very young, uh, then was a VP of sales, SVP of sales, and then founded Jiminy. Very cool. And, and Jiminy, before we go to the founding story, any uh, the naming relations to Jiminy Cricket? Has anybody ever said that, I'm sure, or not? <laughs> Occasionally, well, often we get asked this, so I don't know. When, when we're coming up with names, we tend to err on being quite a mission-driven company and quite creative with everything we do, and I just, you know, obviously the 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 usual trick is to do what it says on the tin this cloud or that this you know uh, but for me you know is it much more about how we could inspire sales and customer success people to be better there's lots in our platform and product that's almost like a personal sales assistant so that whole thing of Jiminy being your guide and your conscience you've got kids Alex so you'll know her. you're probably a big Disney fan by default but uh, yeah so the whole play is like Jiminy Cricket is your guide your conscience so we we took that name. Very cool, very cool. And what about the founding story? So you mentioned that yeah, you, you know, you've know, you been in business and in sales for a long time. Like, Why did you decide to make the leap from SVP of sales to being an entrepreneur to run a SaaS business and, and specifically uh, Jiminy? Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, 
you, you, you first of all, I think a lot, you know, you see, you see the problem, right? So I think uh, I, I loved being a sales leader. I got so much out of that, but I saw, you know, as we scaled sales teams across, uh, we had a team in the UK that was really successful then in Australia. Then I lived in the US for five years and, that visibility of performance as we scaled the business just got harder and harder and harder. Very passionate as a business about developing young people, coaching and training. But um, if you wind back to like 2015, 2016, it was very impossible to actually see what was going on. Um, and living in the US inside sales was a big thing already with the size of the country. So I could, I could see how, you know, where everything was going through video. Uh, I think COVID kind of sped that up with people using zoom and teams to sell but yeah really really it comes from my own personal pain of <laughs> trying to manage global sales teams and, and and wanting to really bring in software that makes a difference to the sales process and are you a solo founder or do, do you have a co-founder yeah i've got two uh co-founders i've got a technical co-founder we both worked together in a previous business at raw gateway we we're very young back then in our early 20s he was the first uh uh, engineer i was the first salesperson so we always said we, we'd start a business and my other co-founder uh, is my wife um, and she works in the business too um, but we we've worked together for years but yeah that always makes for an interesting uh, dynamic for for everyone but uh, uh, we think it's a benefit for sure do you uh, are you able to separate uh, then like work from home life uh, given that your, your co-founder uh, is your partner yeah, I think so. Like, you know what, it, like, I've got three kids, so you, the amount of time you actually have to <laughs> do other things at the weekend or whatever, I think uh, that, that, that degree of separation helps with having kids for sure. I think subconsciously we have some rules. You know, we work a lot in the week and, you know, when it comes to the weekend, unless we've got deadlines or projects, we try and tend to, you know, keep home home. But, uh, I mean, these are Shelley's words, not mine. Like, I'm, I'm the boss at work and she's the boss at home. That's kind of how it works. I'm the CEO here and she's the CEO of the house, I guess. That's how we do it. Yeah. So. I, I know the feeling. And, and what about the, the company? So um, just remind us, when, when you started uh, and, like, you know, to where you are now, what data can you share behind the company? Yeah, I mean, uh, early 2016, we founded the company. We had the original idea and a different Kind of guys and then we actually started the technical build and that in like september 2016 so it always takes six or nine months to build an mvp kind of get it right then we spent a year in alpha beta into 2018 bootstrapped and then raised a bit of seed money um, we then kept it very capital efficient uh, being bootstrapped and just take some seed money, extended that with a little bit of uh, debt, and then we took an A round last summer. Uh, so that's kind of five years in and went through that journey. But in in the early days, um, yeah, we we did it probably the not that what I'd call the normal SaaS playbook, where it's kind of like grow at all costs, let's go go go, take venture money, uh, pre seed seed A round as quickly as possible. We, we kind of did it a different way. Why, why, why do you think you, or like, why did you do it a different way? Um, a number of reasons. Uh, I think the fir first one for me is like I did two, we did two private equity management buyouts in my business. So luckily I was exposed to different ways of funding and financing and seeing how everything from how employees could be rewarded through shares differently, how um, businesses could be measured differently. So 
I think being exposed to that in my early 20s um, and going through that um, and being on the board definitely kind of gave me a, a wider worldview of kind of funding and M&A and, and everything else. Um, look, I'm, a, I'm very ambitious like everyone and want to go 100 miles an hour, but also I'm a, a realist and I think, you know, it takes a long time to grow a great business. And I think sometimes the undoing of businesses is um, maybe stuff too fast for the wrong reason so i always mean james were in it for the long haul we when we originally founded before shelly come in so we're always going to be like well how do we give ourselves the best opportunity to work things out you know and grow the business in a high growth way uh um, but where we look after our team and our customers and uh, have more of an infinite mindset about it all mm-hmm. Um, uh, in a minute, we're going to be talking a little bit about, again, how you did something a little bit different, how you grew Jiminy to the first three million without sales or marketing team. But uh, before that, um, uh, can you kind of share maybe sort of like two or three of the biggest lessons that you've learned so far uh, in scaling the business? Oh, don't try and build your own video conference when Zoom blows up. That was our pivot. <laughs> definitely uh, one of the things. I No, in serious, on a serious note, I think, I think as a founder, and I know you have a lot of founders listening, uh, for me, um, definitely about running your own race. I think everyone can obsess with like, how do I be the number one in the market? How can I be the biggest? How can I beat this company? That forces you to make wrong decisions a lot of the time. And I think it took me a couple of years to get comfortable with that as a founder, as a first-time founder. Um, so look, you always everything always takes longer than you think. Um, and you know, you should just, you know, always, always be careful and keep an eye and make sure you're, you're, you're innovating and leading. But I think at the same time, uh, you, you've got to be focused on what you're doing and there's always someone bigger than you. There's always someone smaller than you, you know, that old adage. So you got the business to 3 million in ARR. Um, and this was a few, I think a few years ago without a sales or marketing team. So two kind of two questions there. Why the decision not to have sales and marketing? Uh, and what did the team look like then? Who, who, who made up the team? What were the roles, you know, getting to that first three million? Yeah, so, I mean, when you, when you bootstrap and take a small amount of funding, you, you're left with, you have to be creative and you don't often have the choice, right? So we probably um, did found the lead sales for longer. Um, so li- literally, some of it was by design, I think, what did we want to focus on in the early part? We wanted to flex, right? So we wanted to have great customer experience, really good product, um, where our customers drove the roadmap. So having like, having multiple people in customer success to deliver great service in you know in and around the product, and being able to listen to customers drive the product uh, was important. Um, and we've always, from a very early day, like forty percent of our revenue has come from our existing install base, and we've kind of kept that momentum so we've always been able to drive growth growth kind of through the client base but but i think you know in some ways it's always a strength and a weakness you know we had uh you know no one in marketing for a long time then we could only afford one growth marketer so you know these things just uh just kind of happen by design but at the same time it's all part of our journey and it got got us to where we we are and where we're trying to go um but yeah, I think uh, really it's um, that how having like five times the amount of people in CS versus sales 
um, just felt the right thing for the business. The customers needed help, support. That's where we were driving 50% of our revenue. So it wasn't like I had a big master plan and I mapped it all out. It's just that thing of taking one step at a time and doing what you can do. Um, sometimes thinking too far ahead can be uh, trip you up a little bit. So, yeah, it was just working within the means and being creative with what we have, if that makes sense. Yeah, how, how did you find – so if you're doing founder-led sales um, – how did you find the opportunities? Uh, you know, what is the like to get to three million? You, you know, how many customers was that that you had to find that were you, you know uh, not coming in through? You, you know, I guess kind of like you, you know outbound sales or or uh, you know whatever marketing activities. Um, but um, yeah, how, how were you sourcing the opportunities and how many did you have to to sell? We actually created an inbound motion without demand gen dollars. If that makes sense, so we. We actually had a good number of demo requests from very, very early on, and that's built year on year on year. So, of course, it's helped by the market. You know, conversation intelligence was a growing market, but we invested very early in G2. Um, like, as when we had very little money, we paid for, G, for, as you know, the review site G2. So, we paid for that. Um, we invested in that, and there's lots of benefits to that, and, and built reviews early, obviously, comparable to our size. Yeah. So and we, we were creative, like, you know, every time we want a deal, we ask for a referral, send them a video, send them a gift. Like I remember days where we had these Jiminy swag boxes and they're all stacked up in my garage. And once a week, I'd have to hand write on the swag box and then fill up the back of my car and take them to the post office. So you do unscalable things to become scalable. But really, it's it's driven through reviews, referrals, getting our customers to talk about the experience they've had. Was, was there, because obviously during, during this time you, you, you had seed money, you had raised a little bit of capital, um, there were some VCs, were, were they on the board? I'm assuming maybe not, or did you have, did you have a board at that time? Yeah, we had a, we had a board, yeah, like um, as soon as we took the seed money from yeah. like family office. Um, so, but at the same time, when you take a couple of million dollars, it doesn't actually go that far, especially in the market that we're in and what we're trying to do by the yeah. time you've got, and, and and we had to like the SaaS has different levels of complexity. Um, some things are very light. I think you know uh, some things are more complicated. When you talk about video processing, transcribing, analyzing data, literally integrating with everything in the tech stack, like the complexity in our products quite high. So we had to invest heavily in engineering um, in relative terms again from day one. So our product was. Was uh, it scaled, competed, and everything else. Was there any? Uh, I'm sure there was discussions, but any pressure from the the investors to say, "Hey, look, you know, we're giving you, you know, a couple of million. Go out and get a VP of sales or VP of marketing, or just invest more in the GTM function." Uh, any of those discussions, and how did you handle them? Yeah, I, I think uh, even even now, um, you know, that that uh, VP of sales is a a really tricky hire to get right. I think uh, someone I know really well put a post the other week. You don't hire a VP of sales to uh, like build your sales team. You hire them to like accelerate it. So again, there's different levels of like how much process and playbook have you got built out, you know, and when are you actually ready to do that? So I, I think actually a lot of investors, um, again, everything evolves. They're a lot more understanding of like, you know, you don't have to have every VP in every role. Um, it depends on the business, what domain experience you've got. Um, yeah, so, it, you know, it was about us getting to the next stage, even though we're growing 100% plus each year. 
it was it was really they were quite supportive in terms of just when it was the right stage to actually raise a big round. You, you mentioned something yesterday when we spoke that at 700k ARR, you thought you had product market fit, but you actually didn't. Um, what, what's, what were the things that made you think that you had product market fit and how did you realize that actually, no, we don't have product market fit? Yeah, there's lots of customers. Oh, I hear stories all the time from other founders or speak to them when they wind their business down or whatever. But um, there's like, uh, you know, ARR is one metric, number of clients is another. I think it, look, it's always hard to give advice because everyone's business is different or everyone's like, vertical is different. But, but for me, uh, like even being at... So I don't know, 700k ARR. Like if the if you if you put like one or two sales reps in and they can't sell it repeatedly quickly, and sales is never easy anyway. But to the point in which, all oh, right, it's happening now. It's a motion. I, I think for me in B two B SaaS, that's often the trigger. Like not not necessarily how much ARR or how many customers you got because you could have a load of money and three or four big enterprise customers, but the product doesn't scale. You could have a lot of little customers where they might be unhappy or the NPS is low or whatever. So I think really it comes down to how repeatably you can sell it to then accelerate the growth. Mm-hmm. How did you move then from doing the founder-led sales to finding this repeatable non-founder-led sales motion? What were the things that you put in place? Yeah, I mean, I won't go into the details of Big Sell on Jiminy, but we have very much like a whole kind of playbook around kind of how to use the product. And that was built from investing in our customer success team having one and then two aes selling closely with me i think uh often people advise this isn't it you know that first two or three sales people when you do get past that point having them work really closely with you and then you're able to kind of step away and support in different ways so it was really um really again not trying to rush it and just do that classic thing because i did this at or gateway you know we did a private equity deal you know, uh, blah, 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 right, now we've got to do it 10, go and hire 10 salespeople. And, you know, to, uh, often that doesn't work, um, you know. So you've got to build the marketing machine and uh, you've got to be able to give them enough of the right accounts and everything like that. So often it it makes sense to do it in stages when you've proven stuff out. So I guess that, that just comes from a little bit of experience, to be honest, do you, and messing it up before. You know. Do you still... Uh, get involved in sales still like you know taking some demos or some big customer uh, meetings so I, I've, I've seen um, maybe even though sort of personal experience like uh, sim- similarly to you I mean I, I had about uh, like 12 years of uh, you, you know sales uh, as a sales exec you know before starting the business and so knowing sales I kind of naturally adapted to family-led sales which really kind of helped you know, I think crucially in the beginning of the business and still enjoy, you, you know, uh, being involved in sales meetings today, but obviously not uh, not, not owning uh, uh, everything. And I think we had um, Henry Shuck from Zoom Info uh, on, uh, it was probably last year, and then what, 17 mm-hmm. million valuation, you know, kind of at that time. And, and he, he said, like, as a CEO, he spends 50% of his time on sales. So now, like, I don't know whether it's just because he loves sales like so much, it, you know, it, it seemed a lot for a public company CEO, but I, I guess kind of getting to the question for you with that sales background, having led sales, like how much sales are you doing now? Um, you, you know, um, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's all about being disciplined. I've met, I've met Henry before as well, and I get, I think, you know, sometimes it leans into your background, but I think all the good or great CEOs that stay there for a long time, I remember the Twilio CEO 
uh, talking about this as well, like any, it just changes into a different guise the bigger the company gets, right? I remember us having 30 million EBITDA and, and Glenn, my old founder, still doing sales calls and stuff like that. But we're all gateway. So I, I think uh, there's all like 50, 60% of your time should be spent with sales and customers, right? No matter what level, I think, Henry's, I, I would I would always check myself and say, is that where my time is going? When it's really early, you're probably like getting a contract signed. When it's like you're growing like we are, you're probably coming into bigger deals at the end of the cycle, important renewals. And then it might be on another level as you get bigger in terms of like speaking at events or talking to really key accounts or whatever. So I think, yeah, it just takes a different guise, really, depending on the stage of the company. But I, I would definitely agree that that 50, 60 percent of your time has to go on there because it's, you know, look, it's what moves the needle, right? And you, you, you raised, um, it was a Series A, was it 16 million Series A? Uh, was it? No? Yeah, 16 and a half, yeah. Uh, was it? No, no, it was last last August. Last August, so, uh, yeah. August twenty twenty two, and that was with Kennet, where they they were the lead in, in investors. Uh, uh, correct. Mm-hmm. How like, now you've raised that money with Series A? Like, what what's what's the plan? What do you use that money for? You, you know, uh, what, what's the next kind of eighteen months and look like? You know, for for, for Jiminy, where, where from where you are now to where where you want to get to? Yeah, look, I think it's sort of like. I can't remember if I posted it the other day or whatever it is I was talking about it. Like it takes four four years for most businesses to really get start to get known. And then you're probably still not as known as you think. And it takes ten years to build a really great, solid business. So, you know, we're definitely in it for the long haul. We want Jiminy to reach our potential. Um and we think that's not hundreds of customers, it's thousands of customers. We think this industry and space has got a long way to go. So yeah, we're we're excited. We're just deploying the capital in a in an efficient way and, and and keeping our growth. But same time, I think probably the most exciting thing is how much we can still do for sales teams. I think when you're talking about the data that you're mining from conversations, the what you're automating to the CRM, you know how this is going to evolve. I think we're in a, a uh, what was a bleeding edge space. Probably as cut in SaaS has become cutting edge, but will become bleeding edge again. There's so much more you can do. Um, so yeah, like we're really excited about uh, kind of the future and how much like uh, opportunity there is to help customers and uh, grow. Really, is because uh, often with Series A um, VCs will then start to say, okay, like for European companies about scaling into the US. So is is that you know kind of like part of the plan uh, over, over the next eighteen months? Yeah, look, I think um, we've been very lucky. Like fifty percent of our logos always come from the US. It's a bit of that. Uh, like customer brand awareness uh, we work with a lot of SMBs and mid-market companies that talk so we've always had a good stream of our customer base coming from there doing a full launch and going is a completely different thing I think like uh, we had our big company kickoff in Bulgaria or like our we call it we have call it a Jiminy business update we do two global ones and two local ones a year um, but uh, ultimately it's about focus for us you know, if you take our, t- our tail adjustable market, there's a million software companies and with our average contract value, it's $23 billion. I mean, it's too big, right? So like, if you just say like, how do we be the leader in Europe, you know, today? How do we be in every conversation there? How do we really service and learn from those customers, build the best product for customers here? At the same time, we obviously work with lots of companies in the States, but there'll be a time when we're kind of ready I think when you, you go, we two hours between Bulgaria, when you, I've done it before, when you go 
that degree of separation of five hours, eight hours time difference of business does really change. And I think, yeah, we'll be ready for that at some point, but not right now. Just, I guess focus is the key. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, moving to the quickish fire rounds uh, now, Tom, what one thing has, what one thing has moved the needle the most for you in your career? Move the needle. Um, yeah, look, I, I actually think we do we do some in-house training uh, called Insights Discovery, which is personality profiling. Um, and really, just a very simple way of telling you what your personality is like. Are you detailed? Are you high energy? Are you very direct? Are you caring? Whatever. And I think, you know, when, when you do that training as an individual, when you then do it as a team, when you do it as a senior leadership team, that everything is about how you communicate. You know, whether you're selling as an individual contributor, whether you're communicating with your own team, building a team. So probably something that's always a work in progress for me is like how how well uh, I, I communicate, how well I listen, uh, how I adapt and change to different situations. So I think doing that training 12 years ago and then putting my own business through it, um, definitely one of the best things we've ever done. Because, you know, when you're in your... I think you know. I didn't go to uni, but I went to college or school. When you're in business, running SaaS stock every day, or vice versa, you know, all it comes down to is people management, people skills, communication. No one teaches that at school. <laughs> you never get taught it. And actually, when it really boils down to it, uh, in business anyway, like really, all that matters is that. So any any which way that you can fundamentally improve those those core skills, I, I think. Uh, that was an eye-opener for me and probably what moved the needle the most. Uh, not not an expert, work in progress as always, but yeah, definitely always trying to get better. Another thing they don't teach in school is sales, uh, which uh, I don't know if it's changed. <laughs> oh, yeah. They, they certainly didn't. Um, uh, what's the best advice you've ever received? You know, if I, if I um, look back overall, there's, there's different different stages really. Uh, but I, I, can, I guess I can pull on recently. Like our, I've obviously once you we took investment, we have a chairman and non-exec directors, and I think I very much underestimated sometimes like how much support we went on our own for a long time, you know, like trying to do everything ourselves, maybe without a coach or out a mentor. So I think just generally having someone who's been there and done it uh, and walked there before you, and then I think you know. I think sometimes probably the best advice that I got recently is, you know, that thing I talked about earlier about how to focus as a business, like what is your strategy and really drilling down, pushed on what your strategy is because usually you get to the surface level and how are you getting down? So I think being challenged for me on how focused we are has fundamentally changed how we think about running this business and how we, how we grow and move it forward over the next five years. So it's definitely the best bit of advice I've got. I'm sure I've got others over the years, but that's the one I remember most recently. Yeah, I, I mean, I have to, uh, like um, I don't know how many hundreds of uh, founders that I've interviewed on the podcast, but uh, haven't met anybody that's managed to kind of do it alone and like building out a support network of people that are a few steps ahead and, you know, coaches, et cetera. It's, you know, it, it's invaluable, right? So, um, biggest failure you've made and lesson learned. Oh, loads of little micro failures all the time. I, th- I think I always have this in my head that um, if you're failing half the time because you're trying new things, that's okay. As long as you're doing 50% of stuff really well or differently, thinking outside the box. Uh, oh, biggest fail. You know, 
I, I think I take on sales leadership, hiring too many salespeople too quick. Just everyone still does it. I see it all the time, done too early and, and goes quicker than they need to. So I think as a sales leader, doing doing that uh, is a classic mistake. Um, yeah, and I think uh, probably probably I, I I talked about it earlier anyway. When you're an early stage founder, you know, not running your own race and worrying what everyone else is doing and not about what what you can achieve. Uh, maybe that sometimes comes with age and <laughs> understanding, but yeah, I think they're definitely two of my biggest mistakes as a sales leader and a founder. Um, what, what does your daily routine look like? I'm definitely like, I put you probably here this time, I'm definitely a habit, creature of habit. So I've been told or I've diagnosed I've got ADHD. Like I probably can't sit still under this desk. Uh, so there's lots of pros, pros to that. You, you're very high functioning. You can do lots of things, but at the same time, you can be um, all over the place. So, uh, and that that leads into other things like OCD and stuff like that. But I, I get up at about half five every day, and I go to the gym, uh, and I do like 45 minutes in the gym, and then I swim for 20 minutes. So no phone, whatever, and then kind of eight o'clock, I'm ready to start my day. And I think I have to do that to, and I, I don't. I'm not a big fan of Tony Robbins, don't follow it, but it's that whole thing about how you primed for your day. So there's so much as a founder you actually have to deal with, get through. Nothing's ever a straight line. So, you know, if I left it till six o'clock, I'd never work out because I'm not in that place by the end of the day. It's just like it's never going to happen. There's too much going on. Uh, that's just for me personally. So I think having that routine in the morning where I pretty much get up, focus on me for that period of time and then uh, get into my day. Um, and then laugh. My day could be anything, right? Um, it's pretty busy schedule. But like you say, 50, 60 percent of the time is customers, you know, 10, 15 percent of the time product. The rest is on the team. However, I can help and support them. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Um, so, Tom, we come to the, the, uh, the end of the podcast. Where can people find you uh, and Jiminy uh, online? So if they want to reach out to you, where do they find you? And if they want to find Jiminy, where do they go? my emails at tom at jiminy.com that's j-i-m-i-n-n-y um, and you can just hit me up on linkedin i get back to people pretty quick um, and then the same with the url for the company you can chat us on the website if you want to speak to anyone pretty easy good stuff well uh tom Lavery, uh, ceo founder of jiminy thanks so much for uh, being a guest on the the SAS revolution show uh today Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the SaaS Revolution Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming SaaSdoc conferences around the world. Want exclusive SaaS content and actionable insights to grow your SaaS? Join our community of over 36,000 SaaS founders at sasdoc.com.